0: Hare Krishna, so today, today's topic is perfect peace, which is comes from Srila Prabhupada's word-for-word translation in uh, Bhagavad Gita, Chapter 2, Text 71. So how, what prevents us from attaining perfect peace, and therefore what uh, uh, can bring about it. Both actually, it mentions what brings about it, and then therefore by context what prevents it. <laughs> so. And the, the, the verse is, uh, it's vihaya kaman yar sarvan pumams Chariti Nispriyaha nirmamo nirahankara sashanti madigachati. So there's, there's, there's uh, with vihaya kaman, giving up, materi- probably says, material desires for sense gratification uh, on all of them, yar sarvan, giving up all those. And a uh, pumans is a, is a, is a, a person. And their charity nispriya, the peace he say they live without desires. And then nirmamo, is without a sense of proprietorship, nirahankara without false ego, that person. Sashantam Shantam, he say, he says is perfect peace. And adi he says attains. So someone attains the, someone can attain perfect peace if they're without desires, all desires. They live without desires. They don't have possessiveness and they don't have a sense of false ego. That's what he's saying. And so the translation Prabhupada gives is, is a person who has given up all desires for sense gratification, who lives free from desires, who has given up all sense of proprietorship and is devoid of false ego, he alone can attain real peace. So we'll just... Could we again, break it into its little parts here. That, that "vihaya kamanya sarvan" corresponds to a person who has given up all desires for sense gratification in the translation. And this is um, uh, this, this notion of uh, being free from desires uh, happens uh, previously in this section of the Bhagavad Gita. Actually, it was given. When uh, Arjuna, this last section of the Bhagavad Gita arises when, uh, when Krishna explains how, uh, how uh, says that when somebody has become advanced in spiritual life he, he describes it as having coming out exited the, the dense forest of delusion and such a person has, this, has entered this trans- divine consciousness and, and Arjuna says, what's that mean? What's it look like when that happens? When somebody the, 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 he exited the dense forest of delusion what does it look like? What's the characteristics? And so he, he gives the, the characteristics uh, of, uh, of such a person here in, in Bhagavad Gita 255. As the Supreme Personality of Godhead said, O Partha, when a man gives up all varieties of desire for sense gratification, which arise from mental concoction, and with his, when his mind thus purified finds satisfaction in the self alone, then he is said to be in pure transcendental consciousness." So again, he, so he said that's one of the characteristics of somebody who's made advancement is they don't have those desires. So this is an ongoing part of the discussion here. And then the verse just before the one we're, we're considering uh, is, is, to, is a chapter 2, text 70. A person who is not disturbed by the incessant flow of desires that enter like rivers into the ocean, which is ever being filled but is always still, can alone achieve peace, and also relates that desirelessness to peace, and not the man who strives to satisfy such desires um, you you can notice here that uh, that desires may still be there in some sense in this case, right? it says the desires are are flowing, entering into the rivers, but they 're not disturbing the person. But I think you can see here this in 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 bhakti there's uh, it says they don't seek to satisfy them, right? They're not disturbed, they don't seek to satisfy them. They may still have desires, but it doesn't cause them to act in, in certain ways to fulfill them. Oftentimes, right, we are compelled by our desires. <laughs> we are operating on the basis of our desires, and they disturb us. So here it says the desires may be there. And, uh, and if, if, we, if we look at uh, compare this to how bhakti develops, This is somewhat analogous to the stage of nishta, or steadiness, where in the the more turbulent stage of unsteadiness, we have desires for devotion, and then we have material desires, and they will interfere with our devotion. So our devotion doesn't remain steady. And then there comes a point where the the desire for, for devotion has increased enough and stabilized enough that there still may be these other desires. But they don't affect us. We don't take them, give them much importance. And they just, like I said, the, the rivers flow into the ocean, but the ocean doesn't overflow its banks, is the, is, the, is the situation. So in the same way, we remain doing what we're doing. And so the, uh, we can see uh, also in Bhakti that as it grows beyond that stage, then one... Has no further desires at all. So, that the verse here that we have here in two seventy one is is giving us more of the necessary things for peace. That's not just desirelessness. Also, it's showing that there's that this desirelessness has reached a higher level. The desires aren't even there. So, let's look at the next. The next thing is charity, Nispriha or one who lives free from desires. Now this sounds uh, fairly redundant. Uh, you, don't have desires, you don't have desires and you live free from them. What, there's, is, is there a distinction there? And you can see this a little bit from the, uh, if we look at what Prabhupada, how he translates charity, other places. It has this, uh, it has this, this notion of, uh, of motion. You know, lives. That's this is one he has here, the top one. But does, moves, goes, travels, executes, rotates, acts, travel, wanders. There, there, there's, there's this notion of uh, of activity, mm-hmm. and so it may be easy, er, <laughs> let's not say easy, easy er, to be without desires in a very controlled environment. You can see, you know, some, sometimes people, the, the sages or spiritual people, will, will live in a reclusive type of environment. You know, here we're you know, living in the ashram or being in the temple or in some some, you know, some, some kind of spiritually surcharged atmosphere, you know, and where one can just focus on spiritual things, and then it's a little easier to keep that focus. So people come to holy places, you know, people retreat to ashrams and things, but then. You know, when you have to be active and are moving about, then desires present themselves to you. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if, you're, if you're more secluded and isolated, well, your, your mind may still seek them out. But when you're active and moving around and, and dealing with the world, then they also present themselves to you. The opportunities present themselves to you. And so that's a little bit more Difficult. And to do anything under very controlled circumstances is easier. Then right? the real test is, okay, what happens now when you throw yourself out into the world? Mm-hmm. So it, it's, there's a, a notion of a real deep sense of, uh, of, uh, of a lack of, of desire here. And then Nirmama, Prabhupada says, who has given up all sense of proprietorship. The, the literal me- meaning of Nirmama is without mind. Without mind, there's no mind. Mind at all. Or sometimes Prabhupada says, uh, um, nothing is mine. <laughs> nothing is mine. But literally, the, the, the ner is a prefix that, that means without, and mama means mind. Without mind. Hmm? No sense of mind. And then the nirahankara is devoid of false ego. And then, sa shanta madhigachati, he alone can attain real peace. So there's, there's a list of things here that we have to do um, uh, to attain peace. And, uh, and see, notice most of these are in the negative, Right? desirelessness, without a sense of proprietorship, without a sense of false ego, so it indicates that certain things that we have are the obstacles to attaining peace Maybe since these are in the negative They're saying we don't have this, we don't have this, we don't have that, so that indicates to us, if we're were if we not fully peaceful, that we have these other things that we're going to have to contend with, these are going to be the, the obstacles um, and sometimes it's helpful uh, to, to read the, the Sanskrit starting from the last line. Because here, cause here it's, it's, it, it describes all of the qualities and says that person attains real peace. But kind of in English sometimes the way our minds work, you know, it's, it's, it's more like the, you, you can look at, if you look at it like this. In order to attain perfect peace, one must be free of selfish or material desires, both when active and inactive, when engaged in spiritual disciplines or not, and one must be free of possessiveness and false ego. Right. So there, this is what you. This is what's required for that. You can. They could look at it that way. So sometimes, it, sometimes in Sanskrit, it'll, it'll tell the different requirements, and then it'll mention what happens. And sometimes you can say this is you know, this is this is the subject here, and these are the qualifications. All right. Now, oops, let's go back. What I'm going to suggest you and try to Uh, show you is that the the criteria are all interrelated. They're not just kind of a a separated list of items. They're connected with each other. Um, It's actually describing a system here that causes us to be unpeaceful. They're not just a... Sometimes you just have kind of just a list of various types of things and they're not connected with one another. But usually when you have these things in the verses they're somehow connected with each other and they're supporting each other. In fact, I'll say that, 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 that desires, possessiveness, and ego, they're, they're part of an interdependent and interrelated system. They actually support each other. So in, they depend upon one another. Um, so what, what I'm saying is, is that if when I say interdependent, I said say, say one element uh, is weakened. That will weaken the others, mm-hmm. and if uh, if uh, if only one is present, the others will be strengthened. Mm-hmm. So they're they're, they're mutual they're interdependent, mutually dependent on each other, and that's part of uh, and we'll we'll try to look at a little bit at that. To see how they're connected, how they support each other, why these particular things are listed together as as, as uh, necessities for peace. So we'll, to do that, we'll take a little bit more look at these, uh, a little closer look at these uh, these three things. Um, so the the common encompasses material desires for sense gratification, and so I'll, I'll propose to you that uh, that these that you know. Kama means just desires, In, uh, you know, just, just literally. It just means desires. And, uh, but what they're what we're we're taking here is two things, having two quali- qualities here, that they're, desire, they're material desires, things for material, desires for things material, and that they're selfish, those two things. Sometimes Kama tra- is, is, is translated as selfish desire. These two things are important. And then when we talk about material, it means they're related to our material equipment and also the, our material environment. Uh, so our, the, the material means our, our physical body, mm-hmm. our minds, and there's the, what's called the buddhi, the intelligence. It, mean, it means our, our ability to discriminate, our ability to understand, the kind of power of understanding. And then our, our our false ego, our sense of our false sense sense of self. These things are are the material equipment. So when we're so when we're having we're having material desires, they're in relation to these things and the environment that we're in, the material environment that we're in. It relates to all those things. That's what that means. And then uh, and then and the the possessiveness part, I think, is pretty. The lack of possessiveness. Thing. Possessiveness is quite clear. We don't have to do much with that. We don't feel that we own things. Things are not mine. But the the comma has. This common have these two things. They're about material things. And and that they're selfish. And these are the different things. So we we have we have the. So this this means. If, if we're dealing with this, it, means that, that the various sensations that we have, the things we can do with our bodies, the things we can perceive with our bodies. Right? Sometimes we, we you know we we act in different ways. We go you know play sports, or we run, or we jump, we dance, right? or we you know or, or there's there's all the the various things we experience with our bodies: the sights, the sounds, the tastes, the smells, sen- touch sensations, all these things, and then. Related to that, to those things, are the the environment around us. We seek places where we can attain the pleasant ones of those. We want to go someplace nice. Uh, if you want to, be, you go out in, out into nature to experience the fresh air and the, you know the, the beautiful environment, or or if you're, you know, if you're like the nightclub scene or the nightlife, you go into the city. Right? you find the proper environment to to acquire these things the, the mind has you know different thoughts and ideas sometimes beautiful concepts the intelligence you know so the, the the there's a you know a notion of just beautiful ideas you know beautiful understandings you know people who are into philosophy and you know these kinds of things mathematics science you know it's, it's just to underst- when you un- come to some understanding of something, it's the most beautiful thing in the world to such a person. Oh, now I can understand. You know, now I see. And then also the, the, our, our false sense of self is, is involved. So these are all, these are all the, the, the areas where we have material desire. Uh, if we desire any of these things, uh, that qualifies as the material desire and if we're doing it for our own pleasure this becomes selfish so let's look a little bit at the other thing this this the, the nirahankara is the you know the negation of ahankara a says false ego and so we'll take a look at this because false ego is quite a a complicated little thing we'll take a little bit of a look at it um to see what it means and how it works because we to be free of it you kind of have to know what it is and if we understand what it is, we'll also be able to understand how it interrelates with the others very nicely. So as, as far as I can understand, at, at root, the, the false ego, sometimes it's called the knot in the heart. And a, a knot you know ties two things together. And so it ties the spiritual and material together. It provides an interface between the spiritual and the material. So we're, we're souls, spirit, spiritual beings, through and through. That's what we are. And we are in a material environment, with, uh, the, 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 including the, the, the hankara, <laughs> and, the, uh, and the, the, the intelligence, the mind, and the, the body, and then the world around us. And there is no natural connection between the two they were not designed for one another. Well, I guess the material was kind of designed so we could do it, but the, the spirit was not designed to have a material experience. It's fully self-sufficient. It is what it is. And it takes something to connect matter and spirit, to interface with them, to make them work together. Right? Interface is when two things can connect with each other and work with each other. The... Uh, um, and so there has to be something that allows that to happen. And so the the the, the, the hankara facilitates that. It's the, the mechanism that that Krishna has created that allows us to interact with 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 our material our quote material selves and our material environment around us. It allows us it allows us to be aware of these things. It allows us to experience these things. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you can't have a material experience. That's how it works. So it, it's it's the foundation of our mater- ability to experience things. The matter isn't conscious. It can't experience anything. Mm-hmm. And the soul, mm-hmm. it has spiritual things to be conscious of. Mm-hmm. So here it takes a special connection that we can make so now we can pl- plugged in to the to the material world. That's the the false ego. Mm -hmm. Uh, It also uh, is is equated with our false identification with the material uh, equipment and environment. So this is who I am. And this is and this is where I live. This false that's one power says false ego. In that sense it's I am identifying. I think this is me and my mind is me everything i'm experiencing materially is related to me it's me it's part of my identity it's not part of a kind of an artificial connection with something that's not me i'm thinking no this is this is me what else is there hmm? and so in in the Srimad bhagavatam it's interesting they they, they describe this 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 place here it says uh uh, this is the Srimad Bhagavatam, 11th Canto, Chapter 2, Text 37. And it says, Fear arises when a living entity misidentifies himself as the material body because of absorption in the external illusory energy of the Lord. When the living entity thus turns away from the Supreme, from the Supreme Lord, he also forgets his own constitutional position as servant of the Lord. I wanted particularly to particularly emphasize that one point. Part Because of absorption in the external illusory energy of the Lord, this identification comes from the absorption the word is abiva absorption mm-hmm. we'll talk more about that and then it says but in order to become absorbed, there has to be an initial interest and if something is boring. Or you're not interested in it. You will not become absorbed. If the lecture is boring, you will not become absorbed. You will be absorbed in other things. Your mind will take you far, far away. Right? So there has to be some interest in order to become absorbed. And in the in the Shrimad Bhagavatam eleven twenty eight twelve, it says the supreme personality of Godhead said. As long as the foolish spirit soul remains attracted to the material body, senses and vital force, his material existence continues to flourish, although it is ultimately meaningless. And in the purport to that verse, it's interesting, it says, Here the word sanakarshanam, which is, means attraction, indicates that the spirit soul voluntarily connects himself with the material body, considering this a most fruitful arrangement. It says, Palaban, it produces fruit. So there's a certain initial interest that, ooh, look at all this. You you get plugged in, you say, wow, you know, new toy. Mm -hmm. It's better than your iPhone. (laughs) The iPhone's part of it, (laughs) it's only one small part. There's so much opportunity here. A whole world has just opened up to me. So many possibilities, right? Particularly when we're, some people keep this optimism, but particularly when we're young, you know, we have this really great enthusiasm. Wow, there's so much to be seen. There's so much we can do. We can try this. We can do this. We can go here, or there. You know, wow. world is exciting. You know? So there's some kind, apparently some kind of feeling like that. Wow. This is great. So let's let's check it out. Right? Let's check it out. And then when that becomes extremely interesting, we, we see that people become interested in something and sometimes they become obsessed with it. Right? The interest turns into an obsession or an absorption. And somebody who has, it's funny, isn't it? Isn't it when somebody has an obsession, that becomes a core part of their identity. Like you know, right now the the World Cup is going on, and so people who are just die hard, right, you know, football fans, you know, they're, you know, we sometimes we say living and dying by the results of what's happening, you know. I mean, if, you know, and most of them, you know, can't even, you know, couldn't dribble a ball. <laughs> <laughs> make a shot if their if their life depended upon it but but if their side wins you know suddenly their whole world is better and if they lose oh it's just a tragedy and all kinds of things so the more that we're absorbed in something the more it matters to us and the more that we we feel a part of that you know and so the, so the interest can lead to an obsession or an absorption which leads to the identification Yes, I am, I'm a such and such fan. And therefore, you know, the happiness or sadness that comes from the result, I, I, I accept as my own. And what I'm going to tell you is that the, these, these things we're talking about here, the, the desires, right, the, the, uh, the possessiveness, and the different elements of the ego form a feedback loop that reinforce each other. Because like we we said that, that somehow these things are interdependent. I'm saying this this is becoming a feedback loop here. A uh, feedback loop is, is is a channel or pathway formed by an effect returning to its cause and generating either more or less of the same effect. So there's there's a like like when we have feedback from a from a microphone. Right? The the sound that's coming into the microphone, you know comes out of the speakers too loudly, goes back into the microphone and you know, and, and causes another you know, terrible noise to come up. So Jai Mohan, Jai So it's it, it, it's either positively reinforced and increased, like we sometimes say a vicious cycle, or it can be reduced in the same way. So it goes like this. The feedback loop is goes like this. So first there's the initial attraction when 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 we're connected, we're plugged into the material world. And and that has a it has it leads to an interest. Oh, this is interesting. Let's try it out. Let's see what we can do with this. Let's play with it. And if that leads to an, uh, an obsession or an absorption, then we feel that that's who I am. And this is all that is. It's no longer my new toy. It's the whole world. And so that increases the interest, right? which is the beginning again. <laughs> and so if the interest is even increased, the absorption is increased, the identification is increased. Think about it how it works. If uh, if if I if I think right, that this world is everything, if I've reached the level of identification, we've all done that already. So we don't have to. We can we can start. The feedback loop is already is already in effect for us. We're thinking this is who we are. Hmm? That means we can only get our fulfillment. We can only get our happiness. We can only get Anything from this plane. There's nothing else. And so I'm seeking to be happy. I'm seeking to be fulfilled. I'm seeking to have some kind of a life. I'm seeking to be somebody. And I can only get it here. And this is the only, this is all there is. So you're going to pay close attention to it. And then the, there's a final part of the ahankara, which intensifies this even more. Because the, uh, the uh, ahankara, false ego, also it says, it's our sense of self-worth. Sometimes it says it's pride, or you know, but it's our, our sense of self-worth is a good way to put it. Because it, also our pride and our low self-esteem are <laughs> the same part of the same thing. So it's our sense of self worth. Who are we? Right? Because one of the things when we when we say who we are, it's a natural question what are are we significant? Are we worth something or are we not worth something? If people tell us that we're significant, we feel happy. And if people try to you know belittle us, we feel terrible. So that that that, that false ego is part of our of our notion of self worth. Right? And so you can, if you imagine then that we think that we are simply, that that all that we experience here in the material plane, that's who we are. Therefore, the only way we can find self-worth is through our material equipment and environment. And believe me, our notion of self-worth is extremely important to us. Other forms of of happiness or unhappiness, they affect us. But that one runs very deep. And so if, if, if somebody, if somebody in, or some, something or somebody helps to make us feel better about ourselves, that's really important. And, and if somehow we feel worse about ourselves, that becomes very, very, very important. Hmm? So this intensifies the whole <laughs> attraction, absorption, identification thing because this is such a crucial thing to us. So it's not just—it's you know, it's not just, um, um, you know, with the other things, you know, there's the, 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 the desires are there because we want to have some, we want to have some pleasure, or we want to enjoy something, you know. So there's different levels of this type of material and selfish desires. You can have pleasant sensations that come, that's coming through the body, basically, right? And those, you know, we like those, and the unpleasant ones, you know, can be a, a problem. Right. thoughts also right? we can have you know pleasant or unpleasant thoughts so they're important to us you know and they're the motivations for us no doubt and we look we're trying to find you know we like to be able to you know think pleasant things and then also our under, power of understa- understanding so for for people who are really interested in ideas you know if you, if you go to the if you go to the faculty of universities you know this this uh, this uh uh, buddhi is very important. That somebody comes with a new, some new conclusion about something. You know, they can publish now. <laughs> they can, they can, you know, they can they, actually that justifies their self worth too in academia. <laughs> you come to some new understanding. You know, you can publish and you can you can fulfill your your need. As they say, publish or perish. You know. But uh, but you know the, so understandings are, are, are beautiful. But the more you know, more crucial than anything is: is are, are, are we are we worth anything? Are we somebody? Mm-hmm. And so, if the only place we can find any kind of fulfillment uh, is here, then they become very 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 important, and desires become very very powerful and important. Because that's the only way. You're trying to find some happiness here. Hmm? And when we are absorbed and forget our situation as spirit, see, the the souls are by nature fully satisfied. This is prasanatma, fully satisfied. When we take that away and we, be, we become interested, absorbed, and identified with the material things, then we forget about that internal satisfaction. We're distracted from it. We don't feel it. And then we're left in a situation like it, it says in, in uh, Bhagavad Gita 5, 5.22, it says, an intelligent person does not take part in the sources of misery, which are due to contact with the material senses. Oh, son of Kunti, such pleasures have a beginning and an end, and so the wise man does not delight in them. It's interesting, so he, he equa- he's equating misery with, with, with the pleasures due to the contact with the material senses. He's equating those two things. They seem opposites to us. right? Miseries. Oh, misery. How can pleasure be miserable? Right? So the reason why this feedback loop leads to a lack of peace is because we're only trying to find joy, happiness, fulfillment, meaning through these material things, which have this tremendous defect. They have a beginning and an end. And we all have that experience of when something we have desired, well, we've had the experience of having something we desire and don't get. <laughs> That's not a very peaceful feeling. Right. We've also had the experience of having things that we, of losing things that we have. And the, the misery and the the... Lack of peace that that engenders. If whatever we we have in this world, and this the possessiveness works into this too, right? Because if we if we think that that the only happiness I can get is on this plane, then I want things that help me to to attain happiness. You need resources, right? To fulfill the desires, you need resources. Why people seek money. <laughs> you can, if you, then you have your options increase for what you can experience, what you can do, where you can go. Right? So possessions become very important to us. Some things or some people or some situation is the cause of you know, some fulfillment. And we need to keep that. We need to acquire things, and we need to protect them. There's a lot lot of energy goes into that. Yoga and Shema, (laughs) acquisition and security, because we're dependent upon them. Without them, I don't have any pleasurable sensations. I don't have them, but they're always under threat. The sensations are fleeting. Right? We've all we've all experienced so much, so many pleasant sensations throughout our lives. And where is the happiness right now from them? yeah, you may, yeah, you may remember them, right? But it's not the same. You you remember them wistfully. We wish you could have them again, you know. It's not like like they're right there, you know. You're comforting yourself with, yeah, but at least I had something, right? When you 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 get, you know, oftentimes when you get very old, right, you remember the good old days, you know. And why are you remembering? Because it's past. (laughs) You wouldn't be remembering if you were having it right now, (laughs) or something comparable right now. There's a reason why it's in your, you know, it's in your memory, and you're trying to trot that out as a poor substitute for the real thing, you know. It's just not it's not gonna happen, you know. You know, so you know, you so you know and, and, and we have we've had you know, we've had wonderful thoughts. You know, pleasing thoughts and things, all kinds of different kinds of pleasing experiences. But they're gone now. Somebody said kind words to us and things, made us feel good, but then you know, then somebody said something opposite or it just wears off. You had you might have had a wonderful new understanding. But, you know, okay, it's, it's wonderful when it's new and maybe even for a while afterwards, but then, you know, what's the next thing? It gets old. Everything gets old. They have a beginning and an end. Nothing lasts. No fulfillment lasts. In fact, so much of the fulfillment many times is anticipation even. We're anticipating how good this happens when I finally achieve such and such a desire. And then you have it. Many times it doesn't even live up to the hype that you created about it. And even if it does, then it's gone. Right? And of course, ultimately, there's, there's, there's death that comes that separates you from all these things. You've carved out a certain niche in your life that you think is okay, a certain level of security and a certain an, an amount of, of, of things and, and an environment that, that, that's helpful to you that you feel Somewhat happy and satisfied, uh, but we see time is take, taking it away. Time is taking it. You, know, you see, you know, you, people who are—if uh, uh, if you're into sports—you'll see all the old retired people will always say that back in their day, their sport was—they were—they were better. This was better than today. The sport is degraded. You know? <laughs> you know? They're feeling that—that uh, that loss. They're no longer relevant anymore. You know, people think like they the the in in in, in the academic communities. You know, they will resist people in the establishment will resist new theories because their whole life was based on the previous ones. You know, the younger people be excited when there's new possibilities, new discoveries coming because now you know they can get their Nobel Prize, so they can they can advance the cause. But those who are older. Even though their life is committed to science, they they had wanted to advance the cause, they wish they could just stop right with them. They don't have to be irrelevant anymore. Now their ideas have been superseded. And the fact that they may have been the basis for future ones is only some compensation. So the temporary nature of things means that when we, even if we fulfill the desires... The satisfaction doesn't last. Right? And so then, and without a foundation for peace, right, the, the, the satisfaction of the soul, that's all we have if we're jumping from sensation or idea or idea, a notion of self worth or understanding to another, one to another, to another. You know, it's like you're trying to jump from one sinking ship to another. What's what's my next thing? What can I do next? How can I get this? Oh, now this is boring. I have to go on to something else. You can't have peace under such a circumstance. You're always in the midst of losing something. There's something preventing you from gaining something. What you have is no longer giving you the same satisfaction. And they all work together. If I have desires... I am thinking this is this will finally do it for me. That increases my interest, is not it? We're thinking about it. Oh, you just you just, you, know, you just made some beautiful purchase on Amazon.com, and you're tracking that package. Oh, it's going to be here tomorrow. Oh my God, it's going to be here the next day. It's going to be so great. I'm going to have this. And it's going to work this way. You're absorbed in it. And then you get it. Oh my God, this you know I've been waiting for this. I wanted to have one of these. Right? You're absorbed in it. The interest is higher, the absorption is higher, identification becomes higher. Now you're suddenly more and more dependent on these things to give you the only sense of happiness you have. Right? If, you, if you depend on your possessions, you know, you're trying to protect them, you're trying to acquire them, that's absorbing your attention. So all these three elements, the possessiveness, the desires, and the different elements of the ego, are combining together, working together, and creating this feedback loop, which is keeping us in turmoil. So Srila Prabhupada, he gives in his purport, how to break the loop. <laughs> so fortunately, there's something that can be done. Okay. Because it's, otherwise it's just strengthening over time. So he gives, he gives uh, the example of how to break, he kind of crosses over things, but, but, uh, but the, the fa- false identification. He says, to understand one's actual position as the eternal servitor of Krishna without falsely claiming this material body to be oneself and without falsely claiming proprietorship over anything in this world, is the perfect stage of Krishna consciousness. So he says we have to understand what our real identity is. He says, and he says that, that of course that that relates. As he said these things are connected. He's even mentioning kind of the way in this purport. He kind of shows how things are connected. If we think that I am this is me, then of course mine is a natural uh, conclusion. So to understand one's actual position as the eternal servitor of Krishna without falsely claiming this material body to be oneself, and without falsely claiming proprietorship over anything in this world, is the perfect stage of Krishna consciousness. And for the possessiveness part, so we're supposed to understand right, that's, that who we really are is, is, is a being that gives pleasure to Krishna, that serves pleasure to the Supreme Lord. And then for possessiveness, he says, one who is situated in this perfect stage knows that because Krishna is the proprietor of everything, Everything must be used for the satisfaction of Krishna. So, the, see, the possessiveness also and the notion of service are connected. So, if I know that everything belongs to Krishna, and I know that I'm his servant, then when I see things, I think, oh, let me use it in his service, rather than, ooh, here's my opportunity. Here's my opportunity to have what I need. And again, the, the, the connection between the two. So he says, the, the, so the notion of non-possessiveness that it belongs to Krishna reinforces our notion of, of, of Krishna as a servant. And our notion I mean, of our, our, us being a servant of Krishna. And our notion of being a servant of Krishna reinforces our notion of things don't belong to us. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then uh, the, the loop of desires. Desires, breaking that part of the loop. Krish, says, real desirelessness is desire for the satisfaction of Krishna, not an artificial attempt to abolish desires. The living entity cannot be desireless or senseless, but he does have to change the quality of the desire. So, when we when we mentioned desires, we had that notion of selfish. The difference between selfish and 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 and, and service is the distinction of is talking about when, when, we, we, when the, we have to change the quality of desires. So when we see desirelessness, so let, me, okay, let, me, let me eliminate all the desires. But our problem is that because we're caught in that feedback loop, if we try to eliminate the desires, our level of peace <laughs> declines precipitously because we think that's the only thing we have in life. Now what's left? Life is, un, is you know, miserable and unpleasant. So, he said, so So when we talk about desires here, they had to be material and they had to be selfish. So here we may even be able to use material things such as, such as our, our, our bodies and the environment around us but if we make them, instead of selfish, we make them part of our service to Krishna, then that satisfies desirelessness. So this is, this is, this is how it's done in bhakti. Uh, that we see things as belonging to Krishna. We see ourselves as meant to serve Krishna and to please him. And we desire to do that in so many ways. So the desires are for Krishna. Everything is for Krishna, it is his, and we are meant to try to please. And that actually, as we discover, begins to break that feedback loop, and very, very quickly, one feels a kind of happiness that's different and then the type of happiness that we're used to, we call it the higher taste. Something that just isn't sensual, it just isn't intellectual, it just isn't of the mind, it isn't even of the ego. But it's, it's, it's something that just happens. A satisfaction starts to come. And while that connection with Krishna is there, that peace grows. The lack of peacefulness is artificial, created by this feedback loop. Ooh, this looks interesting. Let me try it. But then we become obsessed, absorbed, identified, and then stuck in that situation. So instead of thinking, oh, this might be enjoyable. Let me try this. It becomes our only sense of enjoyment. And so all these things increase Our sense of possessiveness increases because we need them. Our sense of identification increases. Our desires increase because somehow or other we have to become satisfied. I don't have any peace, so I need something. So let me try this, let me try that. Let me try something else. Hmm. So the only way is to reverse that whole process and address each one of those things, because all the, all those parts of the loop, they feed each other. So you see, Prabhupada shows how we deal with all those things and how they're related. The more I'm serving Krishna, the more ultimately I'll, I'll look for ways to do it. I'll have desires. If I think I want to serve Krishna, I'll have desires in that regard. And if I have desires in that regard, I need stuff to do it with. <laughs> right. It's natural. Just like now, if I have... Selfish desires, I need stuff to do it. And I want to do, I want to enjoy in different ways. I have desires and I need stuff, so that desires and enjoyment happen. So all of these things are, they're, they're an uh, interdependent, interrelated system in this verse. And so we have to address all of them in order to break it and attain real peace. So we've run over time here. I'm sorry about that. So there's comments and questions, or if you want to just run for breakfast, that's perfectly acceptable. <laughs> uh, Hare Krishna. Yeah, Hare Krishna. Um, um, I just want to ask, like, when we talks about desire for the satisfaction of Krishna, and how this part can become tangible, like the satisfaction of Krishna, what does it really mean? How do we realize that? Well, we're, you know, we're told what, what pleases Krishna. So we, we, know from, we know from people who are experienced in pleasing Krishna. There are experts at pleasing Krishna. Like sometimes if, if you want to know, if I want to know, you know, if I say I want to please you in some way, so then what I might do is try to find people that know you very well. All right? What does Nandi Muki like? And then I would know how to, how to approach that. And so there, there are persons who are expert in, in the pleasure of Krishna. And that knowledge has been transmitted to us. There are people who are expert now. There have been people expert in the past. There are pe- eternal servants of Krishna who are expert. And we can take the hint from them what sort of things Krishna likes? And so our whole practice process of bhakti is based on that. So we know that Krishna likes us to chant Hare Krishna. We know that Krishna likes us to hear about him, and there's so many different ways to, to serve. You know we, we have the temples and deity service. See, there's so many different things we're, we're, we're told. So we know that Krishna is pleased by these things. So we can have confidence that when we do these things, when we, when we follow that guidance, that Krishna is being pleased. Is that okay? Oh, it's just a small comment. That Just the approach of looking at what things stop us from having peace rather than trying to get peace. In other words, that we start at a point where being peaceful is meant to be our original, is our natural position, but we tend to live our lives like being busy is the source of peace because I'm busy, therefore I'm a good person, therefore I'm working hard, therefore, you know, I'll be peaceful. So rather than trying to create peace um, outside how you propose that peace, Pieces where we're trying to get to, which is already there. Just the idea of, I guess, uncovering love, but then you just really look at what are the obstacles that cause me to be disturbed or in anxiety. Well, yeah, this this verse actually tells us, you know, that all the things we're trying to do to find peace is just increasing the feedback loop that makes peace impossible. (laughs) All the things we're trying to do. All the ways we're trying to become peaceful actually is just making the situation worse. <laughs> That's what it's telling us very clearly. <laughs> Basically, it says you need to stop all the things you're trying. <laughs> because it's just making it worse. <laughs> That's it a, a good point. <laughs> all right. Well, Thank you very much, Hare Krishna.